Real Conversations with Tony and Cassie. This is our fifth episode. Thank you for joining us. First, I would like to introduce my co-host and friend, Tony Ellis, an activist and leader who is involved in the NAACP and social justice. I would like to introduce our audience to my friend and poetess, Ab Ballas. She is a well-known New Jersey poet who I have had the pleasure of working with. She produced and starred in her own poetry open mic performance back in 2014, locally in Monmouth County, New Jersey. She is a good friend and I would like to welcome her to our show. A. Ballas is a lifelong poet, musician, and performer originally from the Jersey Shore. She has won the title of Grand Slam Champion in competitive slam poetry and most recently have been published by Swimming with Elephants, Five to One Magazine and the Suspicion Review. When not writing or performing, you can find Ab dabbling in photography and enjoying nature. Um, I just want to say thank you and welcome. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, go ahead, Cassandra, you can start with your first question. Okay, my first question is, how long have you been writing poetry? Uh, so that's something that I've been doing what I feel like is forever, pretty much my whole life. It's just something I always gravitated to, but I started competing um, in 2010. Uh, so that's when I started going to Loser Slam. Um, I found out about it on MySpace to tell you how, old, you know, how long ago that was. Um, and then, yeah, I started competing in 2010, and that's, you know, what led me to eventually doing more shows and open mics and stuff. Um, so that's when I got into, like, the competitive slam poetry part, but I've always been in love with poetry. I have a question I want to ask um, for our listeners. Um, can you kind of explain what is a poetry slam? Yeah, of course. Um, so a poetry slam it usually consists of... Um, about eight competitors to start, uh, going through different rounds of poetry, each performing an original poem uh, that is then scored uh, from audience members chosen at random. So you get, you know, from zero to 10, um, you know, and with Loser Slam, we did everything backwards. That was like our thing. But usually it's scored zero to 10. And then the people with the best scores, um, they earn points all year long. And then those people will compete in a final competition uh, and then there's actually a national poetry competition where people send teams from different states and they actually compete on like a national forum. Um, so you kind of compete all year long, uh, doing original poems, earning points, going through the various rounds. Um, it's like a battle. Um, and then, you know, maybe you make it on the team and you go to nationals. So it's, it's kind of like a sport, you know, but for creative writing. Did you win any of those slams or came in first or second place or... Uh, yeah, I competed for a long time, and eventually I worked my way up, um, and I was able to earn the title of Grand Slam champion, which means I competed all year long, made it to the finals, earned enough points, and then, like, I was the winner of winners of all year, so, like, in the final battles of the final round, and it was really fun because, like, the year that I won, it was significant because we had what we call a haiku 
sudden death match because we tied. Um, oh. And that's such a rare thing. So then, you know, it came down to a haiku battle and it was really fun and I won. So, yeah. Um, my next question is, how have you used your poetry platform to speak on social justice? Oh, great question. Um, so I've written a lot of poems dealing with um, issues like uh, social inequality, classism, um, you know, innocence is one of the big ones. Um, one of my poems actually that I have queued up. Just speaking about, you know, how, you know, there's just with late stage capitalism, especially where we're at, just how there's so much inequality in the wealth gap and everything like that, just to, you know, try to give a voice um, I do a lot of work with like LGBT, obviously, because I'm part of that community. So I do a lot of work um, that focuses on my experiences there um, and just the inequalities there and regarding language and experiences, homophobia and stuff like that. How about like um, Black Lives Matter? I know a lot when, when we came to like George Floyd and all those, have you done poetry based on those issues as well? Uh, not directly. I have one poem in particular that comes to mind um, that um, deals with kind of having capitalist overlords and how we're just sort of all just kind of swimming beneath them while we kind of get these crumbs. Um, and, you know, we barely make living wages. You know, we don't have access to health care. The coronavirus impacts us differently, especially depending on race and class. Um, so just kind of seeing issues like that and how they definitely need to be addressed so we can live up to our ideals as a nation. Wow, that's very, very important. Um, I do have a question now. When you, Do you still do these poetry? Like, do you able to go out and do open mics? Because I know since we're in that pandemic, it kind of is a little bit difficult. So how, you, how are you able to still spread out that word in the midst of a pandemic? So you're absolutely right. You know, with the pandemic, doing live poetry shows is, you know, not really a thing. Uh, people have done it online. Um, you know, for example, Denver Mercury Poetry Slam, they're really popular. Um, and I think they've done really well on the national stage too, that team. They're worth checking out. Um, they've been doing like an online um, on Instagram. They were live streaming for a while at the beginning of the pandemic. I know a couple of other New Jersey poets, um, Ford Moreski, I think is one. He was putting together a show, like a virtual kind of thing with Zoom. So people are still trying to find ways to kind of gather and share. Great, 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 great. As I know how hard that could be. So, um, but it's good that you're able to still get that word out because I think it's very, very important, especially now, especially now, nowadays. So. Who has influenced you to write? Uh, so I have a lot of those. Um, as a kid, I was obsessed with Edgar Allan Poe, which I guess is a little morbid, but I was. Um, you know, very much The Raven, Telltale Heart, mm -hmm. like all about it. And then hmm. um, in high school, I actually had a teacher who was a writer and just her love of it and, you know, her command of, you know, language and description. It was just such a great influence and it was such a fun class. Um, so she definitely had a big influence on me. Do you have any poets that you admire? Oh, uh, yeah. In the slam community, there's some powerhouse poets that you're just like, how do you, how do you do that? You know, like even, like, it's just crazy. So one of them, um, I definitely have to say that I could listen to all the time, Andrea Gibson, 100%, um, especially like some of the early work. 
um, and they actually uh, went on to do quite a bit as far as button poetry and stuff like that. Love Andrea Gibson, uh, Buddy Wakefield. Those were some of the first two that like really, when I heard them was like, wow, I need to, I need to do this. I need to do more than just, you know, write poems in my bedroom. Um, Buddy Wakefield especially was just so inspiring and so, I don't know, just so positive and powerful. It made me want to kind of get up and do the same thing because it's scary to get up on stage at first, especially when people are giving you a numerical score uh, for your feelings. So. Uh, it, it definitely made me want to get up there and kind of be that larger than life thing as they are. And if you haven't checked out either of those two poets, Andrea Gibson, Buddy Wakefield, great, phenomenal poets. I just wanted to uh, talk off the cuff. You've been my inspiration for getting up there and writing and just presenting my craft. You know, I'm not learning where I used to be, but <laughs> I've shined away from my poetry shyness. So thank you so Aww. much. Um, absolutely, absolutely. I'm really glad, like, because I love watching you get up there and do your thing. I think your poems are great. So I'm glad you were able to share them with us because we wouldn't have been able to hear them otherwise. I have a question um, because I know that both of you are poets. Um, is mm -hmm. my question is how did both of you meet? How did you guys meet? Oh, literally just going to poetry shows. Um, it becomes a little community. You know, you start seeing the same people all the time every week, you know, even at the different shows. It's the same group of people um, and you start working together, doing workshops and um, just bouncing ideas off each other and like just respecting each other's work and the fact that you're up there. So um, it's a really great community. I really do. I do miss that about like the being in person and going, uh, yeah. having that little group every week to hang out with and be like, oh, good poem. Oh, can I give you feedback? Yeah, let me know. Like that kind of thing. Now yeah, we had a lot of fun times. Wow, great, great. Um, my next question is, have you actually got a chance to go to the Nurekin Poets Society in Manhattan? Because I've been there many times. So um, have you gone there, done any poetry? No, uh, me personally, no, I have not. I never got the opportunity to go, um, but I, I would love to, I hear it's legendary. How was it? Yes. Um, from my experience, it was really nice. I went back in 2013. It was really fun. Um, it's a really nice community. So it's they do it the same way like we do here in New Jersey. They do it the same way. But then once the poet performs, they do poetry from like, I guess, six o'clock in the evening to three o'clock in the morning. Wow. So you do poetry all the time. Unfortunately, we didn't have the opportunity to stay up until three o'clock, but <laughs> yeah, that's too late to um, partake in in the uh, poetry. So it was really nice. Mm. All right, that's really cool. I wish I uh, could have gotten to go, and you know, eventually when things maybe turn back to normal, the time mm. will come again. That's amazing. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've gone. I think I've gone to Nurekin a couple times, a few times. Um, me and my friends actually. The first time I went was a poetry slam. Um, it was, I think it started on 10, 11 o'clock. It was crowded. It was probably about 12 years ago. Um, I probably didn't get out until maybe about one o'clock. And I left at one o'clock because they were just going forever. And I guess they had maybe about 15. They had so many rounds. It was like, I was one of the judges because usually they give the, the, the scores. They have like five people in the audience that, you know, that can score. Um, but 
I, that was the first time I actually went to a poetry slam. Um, All right. Um, would you like to share with us a poem? Yeah, sure. All right. Let me pull that up. Got a, not quite a few, but. So one of uh, my favorites, and I do have a couple of poems up on SoundCloud as well that I had um, professionally recorded back in the day. Um, I'm gonna do a different one so we get a full breadth. This one, okay, I call this one Innocence. I used to perform this one a lot. Um, I did slam with this one quite a bit. Um, and this one got me through a few rounds. So I'm, I'm fond of it. So I call it Innocence. Why is innocence treated like some type of transient commodity we all look back on so fondly when it is so much more than that? Hmm. Innocence is perfect living. It is divine. It's not knowing the way you run is funny or that the size of your body even matters. Innocence is our word for peace, for living openly in the present. Yet, like soldiers of fortune, we prep innocence for a cool world karate and call of duty to help kids toughen like jerky so it'll be harder for the world to chew them up and spit them out. As though there's a mystery box waiting to pop its question mark above each one of our heads goading, when and where will you become corrupt? When I was six, we sat around my aunt's picnic table as the word fuck fell from our mouths like pinata candy. Baby cousin Eric snatched up each and every one of his first swear words. We hmm. thought it was hilarious. Like some sick joke we're all in on and no wonder would childhood, no wonder childhood has so much stuff potential. Just think of the disappointment odds. Even the magical Santa Claus won't be real in just a few short years, thus negating the entire childhood belief system tied to a poor sense of identity and the confidence to make decisions. He bit the cookie, proof. Maybe that's why we're all whimsical as tinsel every Christmas, but that bubble's going to burst faster than mom's crystal ornaments the year we got mittens. Calling our collective lumps and bumps rites of passage, we say it makes us better artists. Like trauma is character building. Stop pretending it's inevitable to awake to atrocity. Embrace the curious itch of new thinking. That way, our memories museum is made of only the most brilliant displays of comfort and guidance, not more depictions of despicable world. I know peace is radical thinking when chaos's jaws are migraine grinding, devouring rosy apple-cheeked orchards at rapid rates. Instead of more post-traumatic stress, I dare us to wash a legacy of blood from our hands, open palms that bloom rose petals to adorn our children's path, rather than grooming generation next until it is their turn walk off the ledge. Wow. I don't know how to snap my fingers. <laughs> I can't snap my fingers. But um, what inspired you to, I'm sorry, what inspired you to write that? Because that was, wow, that was powerful right there. Thanks. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I, I get really angry with injustice. That's just kind of one of my things. Like, I just, I don't do well with injustice. I don't tolerate it. Um, and, you know, I see, especially with kids, because I'm a music teacher as well, um, in addition to doing poetry. Um, and you just like, you know, the way people just treat kids, you know, as such, you know, like, oh, eventually you're going to lose your innocence. When's it going to happen? Like, ha, ah, like, what is that? What is that? Why is that a thing? Why is that normal? 
Why are we all just like, yeah, the world sucks. Get ready for it. Like, what is that? Um, so I just, I have a lot of questions about like how we live and why the, why do we do the things we do? Um, so this kind of addresses that. Cause I do, I always, I'm always asking questions. Like, why is this a thing? Why is this normal? Why are we doing this as a society? Maybe we should look at that. Mm. Mm. Wow. That was, that was interesting. I think I always wonder the same question as well as like, why do people do this? Why do people that? Why are we questioning this? Why are you questioning that? Do you have any comments, Cassandra? I think that the poem was amazing. Um, I wish I could write like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have um, I have a little bit of question. I have a question for you. Um, with innocence, you talked about how it, it was like childlike innocence. Do you think adults have innocence too, despite the chaos of the world and what we're going on, what's going on today? Good question. Uh, I do, I do. And I think the way we've kind of set ourselves up to live um, is not in balance with who we are mm -hmm. as a human species. And I think um, as much as that innocence is there, we get bitter, we get resentful. Um, and maybe that's why we're like, haha, kids, wait, wait for your turn, uh, instead of maybe changing the world. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I definitely think that it, it matters that we bring these questions. Okay. Can anyone be a poet to bring forth social change? Oh, absolutely. Everybody's got a voice. You know, um, I don't think you need, you know, a master's degree in poetry to be a poet. Um, you know, some of my favorite poets are the most non-traditional. Um, you probably remember, you know, like Damien Rucci, for example. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like his, some of his poems, you're like, how is this a poem? But he's up there and he's speaking his truth. Um, and he's doing it in a, in an artistic way that, you know, connects with him. And he's got, he's got people who connect with it. So anybody really can, if you've got the passion, if you've got something to say, as long as you've got, you know, the courage to get up there on that stage and do it you can do it you know uh somebody yeah. told me you wake up every day you think about writing you're a writer that's it no i have another question for you um before you perform do you do any rituals before you get up there and do your thing on stage like do you listen to, to uh, music you know do you listen to your favorite song you know get hyped up and then go out there and do your thing no um i've never like listened to music or had a ritual mostly like especially with competition I would like obsess about memorizing my poems, going over them, uh, being very aware of my body language. Uh, like I know for like finals, especially the year I won Grand Slam champion, like I made it a point to smile before I got up on stage, like little things like that to like, uh, I don't know, mess with the judge's psychology, I guess, to be like, look at me, I'm better. Um, but no <laughs> rituals or anything like that, like that I've gotten pumped up for. If anything, I've been like too obsessive, too neurotic. Like if anything, just like have fun with it. Um, and enjoy yourself but mostly I would just like prepare just prepare just like study my poems mm -hmm. before I got on stage to make sure like I knew them very well yeah. uh, so I could because the better you know them the more you can kind of get into the acting and exaggeration of it yeah you're not so worried about the words right and what's really interesting is that when you go over it and go over it and go over it until you until it drives you crazy you get up there you do your thing and sometimes you might miss a word or you might be nervous and nobody knows but you. Right. So, exactly. That, that is like hands down one of the key things of performance. 
whether it's yeah. an instrument or public speaking, mm-hmm. if you make a mistake, keep going. Nobody's going to know but you because the audience has no idea what they're supposed to be hearing anyway. Exactly. So mm-hmm. as long as you keep confident, mm-hmm. there you go. Just run with the confidence. Yeah. The last time I performed, I performed a poem about um, getting my eye, eye exam because I have retinopathy of prematurity, which is an eye disease that um, throughout time, not not really throughout time, but eventually you can go blind from it. So what I did before I went up there to do my poem, I was reading it over and over and over again, just to you know get a feel for it. I went up there, I did my poem. Everybody was like, you did so great. I'm like, oh, thank you, you know? <laughs> so it's so personal, you know? So just wanted to share that. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it's it's an intimate experience, you know, whether you're sitting there drilling it, listening it to it in audio over and over again, like, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like waiting the intention of it. And then everybody's like, oh, it was so good. You're like, oh. Yeah. Wow. Um, I have a question. Um, and I think this is going to be my last question. Uh, would you be, um, would you teach kids like teenagers how to do poetry? Yeah, actually, I did actually um, do a workshop for the Count Basie Theater a while back. They had kind of like their teaching artist workshop. And I did um, for a couple of young adults, a couple of young teens, like 14, 15, we did do a a writing workshop. Um, And I also did some teaching like on the side, like as a tutor, English tutor with like teens and stuff. Um, So definitely, yeah, I love teaching kids. They're fun and really creative too. So I'm always open to that, yeah. And I actually did a library workshop too, not to mention it, at the uh, Middletown Public Library for a little while. I was running a youth workshop. Nice, nice, nice. Did you enjoy it? I did, I did. I wish there would have been more kids. Sometimes the turnout was a little low because it's the library Mm -hmm. and kids aren't always attracted to that. Um, Mm -hmm. But the kids that did show up, it was fun. We did some writing prompts and stuff, tried to do some creative exercises. Cool. Great. I think um, I've seen because um, I always I always say that young people always have voices and they always like to be outspoken and it's kind of always important that they take those words and kind of put it in writing and then express it. So um, especially a lot of I guess minority students they always always have a way of how to express and I'm always telling is why don't you take those words and put it into poetry or put it into writing. And um, so very, very inspirational. So since we still have a little bit of time, um, if you can just share another poem with us, is that okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've got my, uh... oh, and if you want to find me on SoundCloud as well to listen to them, I'll plug that real quick. Uh, You can just find it. It's uh, A-B-B-L-A-S. And you'll see me pop up there with my tracks and you can find I've got three poems on there uh, mm-hmm. battle cry fighting fire with fire uh and one called Jess for a friend of mine so actually let's do one of those let me pull that up okay where is that okay so this one is called Jess uh, I used to perform this one a lot this is from my friend Jess uh who passed uh, so this is in honor of her so here we go Okay, yes. (laughs) The night of my senior recital, 
I choked on nerves and puked up four years of anticipation whose knot was suddenly pulled more taut as, in its, as its culmination grew tense. After I passed with rock and roll polypyrotechnic flying colors, my sisters and I decided to join me in celebration at the Coliseum on gay night. However, in my unusual fashion, procrastination made me late. So when I arrived, it was straight to the bar to make up for lost time. I played karma. I sunk back three times as many kamikaze shots for each year of school. My cuticles replaced dinner. 12 shots in 60 minutes. As my back teeth began to float, my eyes wandered like vagrants. Suddenly in a frozen moment, I am stuck to a pheromone soaked floor like a deer in strobe lights. As I'm ambushed by suicide bombers, each rumble of the bass becomes a direct hit to the knee. Acupuncture pin tip treble pops my helium eardrums. I am so drunk, I have gone deaf. And right when my battleship is about to sink, I feel familial crutches root me sturdy. You see, my friend Jess, part of my Greek family tree, never left my side that night. We were a team, chasing laughter like we'd kill for it. So it was no surprise on the ride home when she woke strangers at midnight asking if I could come inside to use their bathrooms or the unwavering way she held my hands I peed on their front lawn fence instead. Yet it's not the drinking I regret. Fast forward 20 weeks ahead to Halloween where Jess dressed up as epilepsy, saw candy colored explosions in her dreams and asphyxiated in her sleep. Who knew? Seizure meds and consistently fed prove fatal. Now, no amount of liquor can fill our empty calendar boxes that should have been time spent together. And I can't deafen the pain no matter how much I drink. Five months passed and the only thing I can remember doing is not seeing her. Don't be fooled. Procrastination can kill you. Tell your friends you love them when you have the chance. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. I got to ask, I have to ask, yeah. what inspired you to write that? <laughs> uh, so Jess, um, when I was in college, I actually founded a sorority by the name of Alpha Z Delta. Technically, it's a fraternity, we call it, because it existed before the word sorority existed. So it's a fraternity. Um, so we founded it together. And then... Um, my senior year of college, like I was as I was a music major, so I had a recital uh, and I had spent, you know, four years worrying about it to the point where like, I almost like threw up that day from nerves. So we went out drinking to celebrate and like, I got super drunk because I was just so relieved that it was over. Um, and, you know, uh, part of that sorority founding, she was like my twin, you know, there's like bigs and little big sister, little sister, that kind of thing with sororities. Um, so she was like my twin. So we were paired up in a family tree. Um, and we just had a great time. We were really close. That's why we got paired together. And then um, the year after I graduated, I think her senior year, like just a few months after I had graduated or whatever, Halloween night, I was on a boat doing a Halloween cruise for the World Inferno Friendship Society. It was like a Halloween themed concert, different story. Uh, but I got a phone call that she had passed um, on Halloween night from, she had epilepsy and I think she had, um, drank and then asphyxiated in her sleep on vomit and it's not good anyway um so yeah that kind of sucks uh so halloween's an interesting holiday for me now 
but um <laughs> yeah so kind of just to honor her because she was a firecracker of a human being like seriously like i i feel privileged that i knew her uh but yeah no just i she was a great person and uh i just wanted to honor her with that because i don't know it's part of my memories i guess um and it's a it's a friendship that i value greatly and i'm sad that it's gone <laughs> it's wow. a good friend wow uh where can uh our listeners contact you if they felt the need to do so um i mean i've got the soundcloud you can always go there uh you can also find me i uh, do photography on instagram you can also find me at gmail just a b b l a s uh, 732 at gmail you can always reach out that way. That's one way. Okay. Um, as far I'm on YouTube as well. Uh, that's always that's linked there as well through the SoundCloud. Um, and I do like ASMR stuff too. I'm always trying to create things. But yeah. All right. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much, AB, um, for coming on our show today and for your inspiration and your word. Um, also. Um, if you have any questions about this episode, or if you have any ideas for future episodes, you can email Anthony at aellis201835 at gmail.com, or you can email Cassandra at a2huron, that is a number two, h-h-u-r-o-n 2006 at aol.com um so i just want to remind everyone that lives or knows family or friends that live in the state of georgia to mark your calendars on january 5th is a very important runoff election this will determine which party will control the senate the democrats need two seats to regain control. We encourage you to please make sure that your friends and family go to the polls on that day. Just as we were able to turn the state blue for the first time since 1992, we could easily flip these seats. If you are not registered to vote, please make sure that you do so immediately. The deadline to register in Georgia is December the 7th. Early voting will be held on December the 14th. We can do this. We can do this. If we are able to turn the state blue in Georgia, then we all can show up at the polls on January 5th or early vote. Because if we can do that, trust us, trust me, the control of the Senate will be controlled by Democrats again. So please make sure that you make an effort. And with that being said, I like to say thank you for joining us and we will see you next time.